me invite you to open up God's Word with me today to uh, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 5 today, if you're a guest of ours or hadn't been with us in a few weeks, this is where we've been camping out. We're walking through this story, the story of Nehemiah. We're in Nehemiah chapter 5 today. And by now, no doubt, uh, you're aware of the news. We've heard the news and we know that Friday the Supreme Court overturned uh, Roe v. Wade after nearly 50 years of legalized abortion across the landscape of the United States of America. And as believers, we have every reason to praise God for this news. Like, let's make no mistake about it. This was the right decision and glorifies God. And we want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate the Lord's work in that way. We also want to acknowledge and to confess and to admit that that is not the extent of our call to care for the vulnerable. It's not the extent of our call to care and to champion life. And so as believers who trust that God is the author of life and the giver of life and sustainer of life, let's celebrate this protection of the unborn, and let's also lean into and be ready to serve and to care and to love on children and to come alongside hurting mothers and to champion life at every stage and to stand together with those who are hurting and grieving and experiencing a sense of hopelessness. Church, we're called to be a people who care for people, a people who care for people because we serve a God who cares. We care because God cares. He cares, so we care. And as we open the word this morning, God's word, may God's compassionate character and gracious heart shape ours. Every time we open the word, every time we gather with God's people and sing his praises, when we hear the word, we want to invite the Lord of the word to shape us. We want to invite him to stir us and to change us and to correct us and to make us more like him. And when we care for one another, when we care for one another, we reflect the caring character of our God, thus advancing his kingdom. That's what I want us to see today as we open the word, as we open the scriptures, as we lean into Nehemiah 5. Believers advance Christ's kingdom by caring for one another. Believers advance Christ's kingdom, our king's kingdom, Christ Jesus' kingdom. We advance his kingdom by caring for one another. This is one way that we advance the kingdom of, of Christ. What boundless love, right? Just heard it. What fathomless grace you have shown us, O God, of compassion. Each day we live an offering of praise as we show to the world your compassion. Like some of you, I, I watched a little of the College World Series uh, yesterday uh, evening. I'm a little bitter personally that my team's not in the College World Series, but I still enjoyed watching the end of that, that game. And right after the game, uh, on the television, something came on that I'm, I'm not used to watching. So the TV stayed on. I was thinking and preparing even... Uh, for today and notice what came on next and it was UFC. Anybody ever seen UFC? Ultimate uh, fighting championships. I see a few head nods. I've not watched 
much UFC, but this is wild stuff. I was intrigued for a moment. Like, I could not relax because I felt for the guy that was pinned down in the ring getting clobbered for basically 15 minutes. And so then at the end of that, they're, they're interviewing the guy who won. And it's quite clear, this is, this is a sport, like most competitions, but this is a sport in which you advance your ranking, your own kingdom, by clobbering someone else, right? That's the way that you move up in the ranks. Well, not so in the kingdom of Christ. Christ's kingdom is advanced by caring for one another. Today we're going to hear what happens when the compassionate heart of God takes root in the lives of of his people, and his people start really caring for one another. Believers advance Christ's kingdom by caring for one another. Let's, let's read the text. Let's hear the story. Nehemiah chapter 5. Did you find your place there? Uh, would you join me standing for the reading of God's holy word? Nehemiah 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, And though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them. You are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not Right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses and also the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. But I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen. And praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food, ate the food allotted to the governor. 
But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine and of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. Now, would you pause with me for prayer? No, Father, we... We bow before you asking you to speak to us, asking you to direct us that we might know you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The Christian life is about knowing God and living for him. Knowing God and living for him. Do you know God, do you know the Lord God? Through his word, God invites us to know him. He invites us into relationship with him, to delight in him, to delight in him as our God and to enjoy the unbelievable privileges of being his people. That's what's going on here in this story. That's what's taking place right here. We we read what it looks like for the sovereign God to be in relationship with broken people. With broken people. Like, that's what God's doing here in Nehemiah. God's working out his plan to be known by people. To be known by people. A particular people. The descendants of, of Abraham here. The Israelites. With all kinds of problems. So that through this particular people, God's amazing grace will be known by the peoples. Like the Wantakians from Papua New Guinea. Of the world. Get this, God has chosen to use weak and wounded and vulnerable people to fulfill his his plan. Like, can't you identify with the problems of these people? I certainly can. I love that about God's word, the story of the Bible. The problems, the failures, the shortcomings of people are not overlooked. They are ready to be Read and identified with as we open the word. First, it's opposition from outside enemies in chapter 4. That's what we saw last week. And now it's turmoil from, from within. Satan orchestrates crisis after crisis. God's providential hand is all over this story. Like we've seen that. He's, he's called Nehemiah. He's equipped Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem for the rebuilding of the walls for the glory of God's name there. Like, Good things are happening, and yet crisis after crisis unfolds. Satan orchestrates these, encouraging whatever he can to frustrate God's plans and to destroy, uh, to destroy God's, God's people. 
So here's the setting. While enemies are still plotting to attack the city. We saw that last week. Senbalat, Tobiah, Geshem, these surrounding people that are upset about what's taking place. They're preparing to attack. Word is coming that they are going to attack. While enemies are still plotting to attack the Jews and squash Project Rebuild, poor Jews begin crying out against one another. The story sort of sounds a bit like what we've read in Acts chapter 6. Remember that story where some of the Jews and some of the the, the Hellenistic uh, Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, complain because they're being overlooked in the church. A need that they need, but the issues here are much deeper. There's a threefold complaint here. Number one, work on the walls has meant lack of work in the fields. Devotion to the wall means that by and large, people, particularly Impoverished people are not able to devote as much attention to harvesting in the fields. Number two, famine conditions mean some have already mortgaged what they do have in order to buy grain. And then number three, lack of money, lack of resources to pay the king's taxes. He's still taxing these people. Lack of resources to pay taxes means some have even had to... To resort to desperate measures selling their own children into slavery. That's what, that's what we read about here. It's boom, boom, boom. The opening few verses of this chapter. Desperate measures. This wall is ruining the poor. And the wealthy are taking advantage of them. Lending money, confiscating land, and accepting children into slavery. And so rather than caring for their own... With neighborly love, they're oppressing and enslaving their own for personal gain. And preoccupation with personal gain destroys community and dishonors God. A preoccupation with personal gain destroys community and dishonors God. The rich are taking advantage of the poor. The poor are getting poorer. And soon they'll have nothing left and it's as if the wealthy hardly even notice. I wonder, do you, do you notice when folks around you are hurting? Do you notice when people around you are, are struggling? I'll be honest, I think far too often I fail to notice. Consumed with my own needs and wants and to-dos and tasks before me, I fail to notice oftentimes when people around me are struggling, hurting, In pain, failing to see a a struggling sister or a broken brother or a floundering family in need of, of care. I wonder how often we ignore our brothers and sisters who are hurting. Certainly financially hurting, that's apparent in this particular text. But not just financially, physically or emotionally hurting. Perhaps lonely or depressed, grieving, hearts aching, anxious, whatever it may be. Are we caring for one another? It's been said that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Presumably, because you're thinking of others. Remember what Jesus said when he's asked about the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Believers advance Christ's kingdom by caring for one another. Meadowbrook, are we caring for one another? Let's care for each other. Let's care for one another. Let's see and love each other with a love that reflects God's love. God is love. We know that from his word. God is love. And he is just. God's a God of justice. Meaning, injustice insults God and smears his name. Among the people of God, injustice insults God, insults their God, our God. Injustice insults God and smears his name. Nehemiah is angry when he hears the outcry of his impoverished people because he knows praying on the poor doesn't reflect the heart of his God. And so he says something to the effect of, guys, we, we just purchased our own out of slavery. We just redeemed them from slavery to foreigners. And now you're putting them right back in slavery to one another. He can't believe it. He says in verse 9, what you're doing is not right. It's not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile Enemies. Nehemiah speaks truth. And the truth is God expects his people to act in ways consistent with his character. So like these folks, we too need a glimpse of God. We need to see him for who he is. We need to see him. Let's see God's just and gracious character. He is just and he is gracious. We know this. Let's see his just and gracious character. It's all over this story. It's all over the Bible. Like the Bible invites us to know God, to see him for who he is. To see him and to respond accordingly, appropriately. But when we speak and live and act in ways inconsistent with God's character, we take God's name in vain. When we misrepresent our Savior who has purchased us with his own blood and put his name upon us, we take his name in vain. And when we do, may the Spirit of God pierce us. May the goodness and mercy and the kindness, the truth about who he is, may the Spirit of God pierce us with his kindness, leading us to turn back to him again. Praise God. That's what happens here in this story. And it's good news. Verse 10. Nehemiah says, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. In other words, moved by the goodness, moved by the goodness of his God and pierced by the pain of his fellow men, Nehemiah admits his own fault and he vows to be the very first one to correct it. Oh, church, oh, Meadowbrook, may, may God's spirit be so welcomed here. May God's spirit be so wanted here that we invite correction for the sake of God's name, for the sake of his reputation. Injustice insults God and smears his name. So the reality is Nehemiah could have ignored these grievances, That's what Satan was wanting. 
He could have ignored the hurting for the sake of completing the task. But he doesn't. He could have said, guys, come on, just get it together. Like, let's, let's get the job done. Let's focus on what we're led to do. But he doesn't. It's not what he does. Prompted by God, he notices the need of his neighbors. Believer, notice your neighbor. Notice your neighbor. I don't know about you, but I find this difficult. Perhaps especially in our individualized culture where personal independence suppresses our sensitivity toward others. Slow down and notice your neighbor. Speaking to myself. Look in her eyes. See her pain. Consider the brokenness of a brother. Consider his struggle. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. And I, I pray this will be a place and will be a people marked by humility and authenticity and vulnerability with each other. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to ignore and neglect those who aren't okay. There's a difference, I, I think, in the degree to which we're called to know each other's needs and carry each other's burdens within the body of Christ. And what made the actions recorded here in Nehemiah chapter 5 especially egregious was they were directed at one another, fellow recipients of God's grace and members of his family. Notice your neighbor. Your brother or sister in Christ. And as you do, as you do, also consider the nations. Consider the nations. Why? Because injustice insults God and smears his name, his reputation, his reputation among the nations of the world, the peoples that he has made. When the people of God fail to reflect God's character, the people of the world fail to see the Savior. Listen again to what he said. Nehemiah said in verse 9, what you are doing is not right. It's not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? Incredibly. Incredibly, God chooses to use his church. He chooses to use his church comprised of broken, flawed, imperfect people to spread his kingdom. And one of the ways we're invited to spread it is by caring well for one another. Remember that song? It says we are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will work with each other. We will serve Side by side, we will work with each other. We will serve side by side and will guard each man's dignity and save each man's 
pride and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we're Christians by our love. You see, with slaves released, money returned, and food now being shared, the Israelites keep building. They keep working on the wall. They worshipped as they worked. We read in verse 13, the whole assembly praised the Lord. They praised the Lord together. I can almost hear them singing. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. We will work with each other. We will work side by side and we'll guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. And they'll know we're God's people by our love, by our love. See, believers advance Christ's kingdom by caring for one another. And whereas preoccupation with personal gain destroys community and dishonors God, generosity builds community and glorifies God. Generosity builds community and glorifies God. Nehemiah 5 is about generosity. Nehemiah is a rich man. There's no doubt about that. He's wealthy. But he now uses his riches to advance God's kingdom by caring for others. And so the chapter closes with a description of Nehemiah's leadership. Noting that he governed Judah for 12 years. Like we're not led to believe at the beginning of the story that it's going to be that long. That's far longer than the 52 days that it... It's going to take to rebuild this wall. He governs Judah for 12 years and his leadership is marked by abundant generosity. Listen again to what he says in verse 15. He says, but the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God... I did not act like that. In other words, he forgoes privileges belonging to the governor. He forgoes privileges belonging to his position. He breaks a pattern of excessive, excessive positional privilege in order to care for those around him. He didn't have to do this. Nehemiah didn't have to do this. Why does he do this? What would possess someone to forgo personal gain. Well, he tells us reverence for his God and compassion for people. And so he prays in verse 19, remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. He's not claiming merit, I don't think. Not claiming merit, but expressing sincerity. Revealing a heart that's been gripped by God and that is zealous for God to be honored, for God to be known, for God to be glorified. One that believes living for his Lord is the only way really worth living. Gripped by God, he desires to be used by God to build God's community and to glorify God's name. Generosity builds community and glorifies God. So 
believers, so Christians, steward your resources for Christ's kingdom. Steward your resources for for Christ's kingdom. This text is not a condemnation of wealth, right? Just consider the actions of Nehemiah here. An ox, six sheep, poultry, everyday choice, wine. Praise God if he's made you wealthy. But if God has made you wealthy, use your resources for his everlasting kingdom. Give and give generously to alleviate poverty, to care for Christ's community, and to advance the gospel among the nations. And the only way, church, the only way that we'll be compelled to do that, because this is certainly counter the condition of our own hearts apart from knowing the Lord, the only way that we'll be compelled to do that is by gazing upon the God of the gospel. Word of God says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships with one another, believers, the word says, think like Jesus. Think in the way that Jesus thought. And the only way that we can do that is by gazing upon Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Well, friend, if you want to be compelled to steward your resources for Christ's kingdom, if you want to be compelled to live for his glory, look no further than Christ himself, the high king who stewarded his exalted position for our sake by humbling himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Oh, church, what a Lord. What a savior. What a king that we serve. Consider the king who gave himself for you. Consider the king who gave himself for you and for me. Do you know the king? Do you know the king? Do you know the God over all who gave his very life for you? To save you so that you could spend eternity with him. Consider the king and never stop gazing upon the grace of the king. Because believer, you know, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for your sake and for mine, he became poor so that you and I, through his poverty, might become rich. Friends, we are rich. Believers, we are rich in Jesus Christ. And so may God's Spirit stir us to use our riches for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, Father, help us to do so. Stir us to do so. Compel us To do so by your amazing grace that not only saves, 
but sanctifies and transforms a people that we might know and reflect you. So lead us in that way. Father, lead us to gaze upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.